Hey, welcome back to the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO. And I'm your host, Doug Lear. The last shot, the last shot for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Uh, we still have a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're going to get you a podcast extra with Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors, uh, and you can listen to them. You listen to Bruin Agri Gone Outdoors on Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. We know not everybody can listen to them on Saturday mornings. We know not everybody can listen to a podcast. So we break out a podcast extra for you each and every weekend. Before we do that, let's get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. You read her work in Dakota Country Magazine. She is an award-winning outdoors communicator, and she connects with uh, the people and the places, the bait shops, the gas stations, the motels, the resorts, the guides, to give us a better idea of where people are going, what they're doing, what they're finding outdoors. Well, Pat, what's cooking outdoors this week? Thanks, Doug. As we move towards the March 15th deadline for removing fish houses from North Dakota waters, it doesn't mean anglers can't use them. It just means they can't leave them on the ice unintended or overnight after that date. While many lakes would probably still have good ice and ice depths, it's also the time of year when conditions can change rather quickly. It doesn't hurt to plan now to make certain you can get that ice house off a lake without difficulty. From a fishing standpoint, things are still fairly slow across many lakes in North Dakota, including Devil's Lake. However, some reports of perch success are coming from East Devil's Lake and Creel Bay. Try the usual 20-plus feet with waxworms. Maybe anglers can get a nice late-season perch bite after all. Look for scattered walleye success throughout some areas of Devil's Lake, including Six Mile or Fort Totten Bays, as well as the Minnewaukan Flats. Lake Ashtabula remains what has probably been the most consistent lake much of the winter. Anglers are still moving around nicely on the lake and finding an ongoing perch and walleye bite. Success on small lakes across North Dakota continues to be mixed, depending in part on one's ability to access the lake and the time of day. Out west, the Missouri River tail race remains quiet. Pike are starting to get on the move a little bit more on the east end of Lakes Kakawea. Not a lot, but a little bit of movement. Try Stanky, Centennial, or Douglas Bays, with more numbers now showing up in Garrison Bay. The Van Hook Arm has spotty walleye success in the midsection, but those anglers willing to put in their time are finding a few fish. Move around and try jigs and minnows, or they're also working now with tip-ups. Lake Audubon is still slow on the west end by the Totten Trail, but producing an occasional walleye on the east end. It's not too early to think hunting, and now that we're into March, that means North Dakotans can apply for a once-in-a-lifetime elk, moose, or bighorn sheep license. Granted, the deadline isn't until March 23rd, but it's not too early to get one's name in the hat for a special opportunity like that. Appreciate that report. That is Pat Stockdale, and she is an award-winning outdoors communicator. Again, read her work in Dakota Country Magazine and various other publications across the Midwest. Right now, it's time to get you that podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. You hear Brewer Agri Gone Outdoors at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. Not everybody can listen then, and not everybody can check out their podcast. So here is a podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. And we have with us a special treat our John Outdoors, living off the land expert, 
Mr. Andy Holt. And there's a reason why we call him that. He has, and uh, thank you very much, Andy, for turning us on into many new outdoor pursuits that I don't know if we would have been involved in if it wasn't for you. And, well, you know, well we, that's great. Thank you for having me on. We we do have a lot of fun and we do enjoy learning. So one of those outdoor pursuits that both Kyle and I have taken up recently um, is coming up here pretty soon. We got maybe about a month or so, depending on where you are in the listening area. And that is tapping maple trees and making your own maple syrup uh, to keep you going throughout the entire year. And this is something that you got us excited about, and we both do it now, and we both absolutely love it. But uh, our goal now here is to maybe have you spark a fire under some of our listeners who haven't heard you talk about it and uh, start the prep for maybe getting a couple of the supplies that will be needed to do this because come tapping season, some of the supplies start to get kind of short supply because it's getting to be a relatively popular pastime. That's so, for Andy, sure. We're, we're, so we're, we're probably about a month away and much of the listening area, give or take a couple of weeks, correct? Right. Yeah. The weather's kind of teased us a couple of times lately, you know, giving us a couple of days, you know, about freezing and that kind of starts to get you in the mood and get you to get your equipment ready, I guess. So for somebody who isn't tied into social media, to the internet, how does somebody know, let's say they go out and buy five taps and they got a couple of maple trees, they want to just tap a couple in their yard. How do they know by looking outside that it's time to go do that? Yeah, anytime you start getting significant, um, you know, fall events where, you know, your daytime high temperature is significantly above freezing. You know, if we hit 33 degrees and it's cloudy, you're not going to get much. But if you start to hit upper 30s, low 40s, uh, and, you know, maybe it goes down in the 20s at night, um, that, you know, it's it's worth it. And it's worth to do a test tap. You know, you don't have to go sling all your taps all at once. Or spiles is the correct term, I guess. But everybody calls it taps. The other thing you can do is, is if a tree's got any, like, broken branches, wounds, that kind of thing, they'll start to drip as well. Um, and drips significantly sometimes too. So how do, well, first of all, how big a trees do you need to tap? If someone's got maple trees in their yard, how big a trees do you need to tap? Cause I know at a certain size, you can actually put a couple in yeah. the same tree. Yeah, you know, you definitely don't want to go too small, especially if it's a tree in your yard or someone else's yard, you know, let that tree get to 10, 12 inches before you put a tap in. And, you know, if you start getting into the mid to upper teens, you can look at two and like these huge old maples that you can't even reach around, you know, then you, you look at three if you want. I've never done that, but I don't have a shortage of trees myself. Um, but I always am on the conservative side, especially if there are trees in your yard or someone else's yard. So let's just give our listeners uh, a little bit of, uh, what's the word I'm thinking for? A little bit of insight into your experience. How many trees do you tap a year? How many taps do you put in a year? We like to look at somewhere between two and three dozen. It depends a little bit on what we're doing as far as trees. And if we're going to do like a, a pure maple syrup and then like a box elder syrup on its own, we like to make a box elder syrup as well. Then you're going to want more taps in, in one of those kind of side trees that, uh, you know, to be able to get the same amount of syrup, you're going to need more sap. So then you're going to want more taps. But if you run, you know, just as a family operation, if you run 
10, 12 traps, you're going to get plenty of syrup for your own personal use through the year. Andy, so you mentioned here the, the box elder. Now, primarily we think about maple trees as, uh, you know, syrup runs and, and collecting the sap, but box elder, to my, to my knowledge, from what you've told me, is a close relative of the maple. Does it extend anywhere beyond that, or is it just kind of maple and, and box elder? Yeah, so really anything in the maple family, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I don't have sugar maple. I can't make maple syrup. And that's not true. You know, you can use any of the maples. There's going to be different flavor profiles and there's going to be different sugar contents. Um, So, you know, sugar maple is called sugar maple because it has the highest sugar content. And, you know, you might be like a good average is 40 gallons of sap to one gallon of syrup, but you might be looking even lower than that, you know, depending as you go through the season. and it builds on out to the different types of maples all the way down to like the box elder that we mentioned is going to be the most sap per gallon of syrup. And your resin, those kinds of things are going to be less than the sugar maple, but still you're, you're plenty able to make syrup out of it. And you're going to get different flavor profiles, partly because of the different trees, partly because of the amount of cooking that it takes to get rid of all of that excess water. Hey, Andy, so when we talk about, you know, collecting syrup, how long typically is the season? Is it a couple of days, a couple of weeks, or how long does it extend? Yeah, so it's one of those cool things that you don't get to control, and that's part of what makes it so cool. You might be kind of hoping for a month. It's really going to depend on, so when that tree, depending on how warm it gets, that tree's making progress. You know, we're getting sap because of the processes that take place in these trees in the spring. So if it stays warm and doesn't freeze at night, and, you know, the tree's going to make progress, right? So this freeze-thaw process allows it to make a little bit of progress, but not too much, and that's going to really stretch your season um, if you get to where it's really warm in the day and not freezing at night, that tree's going to make up a lot more progress than you might have like a two or three week season, but you can pretty well, you know, gauge on a month and the weather's probably going to give you some natural breaks in there, like where it stays freezing for a few days or stays thawed for a few days and give you a chance to kind of catch yourself. So Andy, um, this is relatively easy to do. I mean, it's actually very easy to do. Any of our listeners could do it if you have access to any maple trees. And we only have probably two minutes left. One thing I really want to get out there is what equipment do they need? And then where can they buy this equipment? Because I know you can buy it in some areas, but um, if you're really looking for it, you might not be able to find it. So where can people go to find this stuff? And what what are a couple things they need? Let's say they're only going to have five taps. Yeah, like you said, it really, you know, people are kind of apprehensive. And I sure was the first time I tried it. You know, you're collecting sap. You're boiling sap down to syrup. You're filtering and bottling. You're going to need some taps or some spiles. There's some homemade options, but they really aren't that high price and they're reusable, that kind of thing. So you're going to need some taps or spiles and you're going to need a collection system. It might be a bakery bucket. You can sure go buy food grade buckets, um, but you know, local restaurants and that might have some used ones you could wash up. And then you're going to need to store that. You you can store it in a snowbank. You can store it in a fridge. And then you need something to boil. People, small-time operations, sometimes do it on their stovetop. Sometimes they use a clean pot on top of a turkey burner. A lot of syrup gets made with a turkey burner. And then the two things that I would say are essential equipment outside of the tap or the spile 
is the hydrometer that tells you when you get to syrup and then a filter. Uh, the filter just makes for a better looking project product to get that sediment out of there, but it's definitely not necessary. You can eat it with the sediment in there. It's just vitamins and minerals for you. It's not a problem. But the filter is great, but the hydrometer, and that really is kind of a safety and storage thing. The hydrometer tells you when you have officially hit syrup and you know that that's not going to mold on you and it's not going to be a safety issue. You know it's going to be uh, good quality syrup. You know, Andy, there's just something special about eating some pancakes or making some venison jerky with, you know, coating it in your own maple syrup. Uh, being able to go out and collect your own, uh, you know, everybody has them. Well, not I shouldn't say everybody, but they're all over. These maple trees, these trees that have sap in them, it's easy to do. I highly recommend that uh, if we've even piqued your interest, do a little bit more research online and uh, go out and do that this year. Andy, we really appreciate you coming on Gone Outdoors and we appreciate you turning us on to this hobby. That's awesome. Thank you for having me on. Well, that is going to wrap things up for this weekend edition of Outdoors Live. Appreciate the podcast extra being made available by Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Make sure you check out them Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock. And then also you can check out their podcast at kfgo.com. This has been the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO and FM 104.7. Until next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.